Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Lou Figaro. And welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice. On this episode, we're going to review Anthrax's 1993 album, Sound of White Noise. So, Lou, how'd you discover Anthrax in this particular album? I come in with Anthrax at the very beginning uh, with a 45 that I bought at Rock and Roll Heaven in Clark, New Jersey. Soldiers of Metal backed with Howling Furies. Uh, A little while after that, they released Fistful of Metal, and it was cool. They had their own sound. They weren't just another Raven or Metallica clone, but they were fast as fuck. After the first record, they changed singers from Neil Turbin to Joey Belladonna, who was more of a hair metal, you know, melodic singer before hair metal was hair metal. But he was a welcome change, and he evolved with that band, and I, I stayed a fan. They put on a brutal show, and going to Lemoore's in Brooklyn to see them play was fucking awesome. And by the time White Noise came out, I was still a fan, and I bought it as soon as I heard a new CD came out. All right. We've covered Anthrax's Among the Living album on the podcast, and as I said then, I got into Anthrax through MTV and the song Antisocial from the State of Euphoria album, that cover. As at that point in the late 80s, I discovered Metallica, and I was already starting to really dig thrash metal music, and I just wanted more. So I bought State of Euphoria, and then eventually I got the back Anthrax catalog, and from then on going forward, I got Persistence of Time, and then we heard that Joey Belladonna got fired and Anthrax needed a new singer. Now, I wasn't aware of John Bush at the time he joined Anthrax because I hadn't discovered Armored Saint yet. So I didn't know what to expect when it was announced that he was the new vocalist. But once I saw the video for Only, I thought, wow, it's different, but it still sounds good. So I got Sound of White Noise not too long after it came out. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record grabbed straight from Wikipedia. Sound of White Noise is the sixth studio album by American heavy metal band Anthrax, released on May 25th, 1993 on Elektra Records. It was produced by Dave Jordan in Anthrax and was recorded in 1992 at Henson Recording Studios, Cherokee Studios, and El Dorado Recording Studios, Hollywood, California. It reached number seven on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified gold by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We have John Bush on lead vocals, Dan Spitz on lead guitar and backing vocals, Scott Ian on rhythm guitar and backing vocals, Frank Bello on bass and backing vocals, and Charlie Benanti on drums. There are additional musicians, which we'll mention as we see fit. All right, let's commence a track-by-track analysis of this album. We open the record up with Potter's Field, written by John Bush, Scott Ian, Frank Bello, and Charlie Benanti. When I first heard this, I was really impressed with the sound production. Dave Jordan is producer of the year for this. 
and having did both classic Jane's addiction albums as well as Alice in Changed, um, but this is just fucking heavy. I knew what this band did and they're doing it here, but this is different. It's like the same thing, but different. It's bigger, it's heavier, it's more high res than before, I guess. The closest thing I can compare it to is the Batman movies. <laughs> um, they sort of went from zany, but cool Adam West to Michael Keaton. And they had a Val Kilmer, but this is more like Christian Bale, Batman, same thing, but way more serious and gravelly voiced that that's what these guys are. They're uh, here. They're, they're serious as a heart attack. I never noticed that in the static that people were screaming. If you listen to it in headphones, you can hear people like ah, in the back of the mm-hmm. dead. That was, it, it's kind of freaky. I had to hear it in headphones before the band kicks in. Kick in, they do. The entire riff is one chord. But it's under the attack of Scott Ian's right hand. It's not fast, but it's brutally heavy. Bush's voice fits this perfectly. The band's evolved into a different beast, laser beam focused. Charlie Benante is a fucking 50 caliber machine gun. Until Danny Carey showed up, I had him as my favorite metal drummer. God damn, he's in his prime form here. Great intro to the beating we are about to receive. Great fucking track. This is a journey into sound. We first hear literal white noise, and then it builds to a heavy, mid-tempo, pulsing groove. It doesn't thrash, but it stomps. Even when it goes into double time in the pre-chorus... Charlie Benanti provides that pulse, always underlying the entire track. It makes it breathe. Frank Bellow's bass supports the pulse, keeping that insistent rhythm. Even when the bass line moves, it doesn't go off on its own, and it makes the track thump, thump, thump in your head. Scott Ian and Dan Spitz bring the guitar riffs, and they occasionally color outside the lines, but they always come back to the groove as well. It makes for a different vibe for this band, like you were saying, Lou. But the tones are still recognizably anthrax. While Spitz as a lead guitarist to me has always been competent and serviceable, he doesn't blow me away, but he doesn't fuck things up either. And then, of course, the biggest change comes in the form of John Bush's vocals. They're worlds apart from Joey Belladonna's. Bush's timbre is lower, darker, and grittier. It's got a rasp to it that makes him sound constantly pissed off. But he also has surprising range. He can hold a higher note when he needs to. He has a phenomenal hard rock slash metal voice. The lyrics to me seem to be about a man who was born illegitimately and rages against his mother who didn't know how to raise a child and as a result he lives a life of pain and anger. He wishes that his mother had aborted him instead of giving birth to him. Potter's Field is a burial ground of unmarked graves. Biblically, the Potter's Field was purchased by the high priest of Jerusalem with the pieces of silver that Judas Iscariot was paid for identifying Christ to the Romans. So I read that these lyrics could also be interpreted as a twisted point of view of Jesus himself. However you see it, this is a slamming opening track and starts the album off very strong. The next track is Only, written by John Bush, Scott Ian, Frank Bello, and Charlie Benanti.
thoughts? This has got to be one of the best fucking songs in this genre. Never mind the one of the best songs that these guys do. These guys are shaking the baby with this one. Holy fuck. It's just an assault on the senses. Charlie starts it out with the double bass jungle drumming and Ian and Spitz chug through this absolute earworm of a drop D riff. So fucking heavy. Bush's earnest delivery is way more serious than Belladonna. You said it before. I can hear Belladonna doing this, but there's no way he could have pulled it off with this attitude. That's exactly it. Bush's attitude is way more in your face and real than Joey Belladonna. No disrespect, just different. Spitz's solo isn't lightning fast, but it breeds as he wazes his way through a serpentine bluesy solo. It has a melody of, of its own, like a song within a song. Great choice and placement. I can't contain myself. I just can't take myself. Fucking awesome second track. Like you said, Lou, Charlie Benanti begins this with that insistent drum beat with double bass and tom hits at a mid-tempo pace. And then the guitars and bass slam in like a blurry tidal wave. It washes over the drums while fusing with the beat. I hear like a grunge influence in this. I hear like Soundgarden type stuff with this. And from there, the wave rises and falls and sounds fucking awesome. The verse riffs sound like the guitars are revving up, revving up, revving, 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 revving up while Bush bellows out the vocals. Spitz plays a decent wah-wah drenched solo and winds it up following the chorus melody. And the chorus itself has a really catchy lay hook with a barked backing vocals that Anthrax is known for. The lyrics seem to be about a dysfunctional relationship that's become borderline abusive. The narrator is dealing with someone with unpredictable mood swings and knows he can't stay in the relationship. He wants out. This was the first track of the John Bush era that we all heard. And for me, it's one of the band's best songs. They still play it to this day, though I wish they wouldn't because Joey Belladonna cannot sing this right. It just sounds weird and off when Joey sings this. But it was the first single from the album that reached number 26 on the U.S. Billboard Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. The following track is Room for One More, written by John Bush, Scott Ian, Frank Bello, and Charlie Benanti. What do you think? Okay, here's classic Anthrax, and this is them in top fucking form. Scott Ian's right hand chugging through another amazingly, brutally heavy riff. Reminds me of Sergeant D of SOD. These guys just sound like no one else, even when they do. <laughs> one of us. What goes around comes around. Great message. The middle eight gets slinky and grungy and uh, breaks into a very Alice in Chains kind of sounding solo uh, with Scott Ian chugging behind it all the way and Charlie beating his fucking brains out. Solid, solid third track. The main riff in this one reminds me quite a bit of Metallica's Eye of the Beholder with busier drums. But there's also a familiar palm-muted guitar chugging and Frank Bellow's bass rumbles below. This is heavy, but again, mid-tempo. It doesn't thrash. And I dig the chorus again. 
Bush adds a menacing urgency that his gruff vocals convey, while Spitz delivers a mostly melodic solo that hits the mark. I read that lyrically it's about a death row or a lifer murderer in prison who finds God and thinks he's been redeemed, but his prior actions don't let him off the hook. Hell remembers, and there's a place at the table in hell for him. This is a solid track, like you said, Lou, and it was the third single that did not chart. The next track is Packaged Rebellion, written by John Bush, Scott Ian, Frank Bello, and Charlie Benanti. Right, Lou, what do you say? God, the production on this album, I think, is like the best in their catalog. It's up there with the stuff they're doing now. The guitar tones Jordan got are just the fucking best. They're they're perfect. This one almost fades in. Scotty in the riff machine. This time lower tune, heavier, if that's possible. I like how they switch up the riff to keep it interesting. Like you said before, like coloring outside the lines, but then going back in again. They're not just bashing along to the same thing. They tell it like a story and the riffs they play kind of go along with the story. And Charlie's right foot is controlling my heartbeat and blood pressure. When his left foot gets involved, there's fucking palpitations and involuntary muscle spasms. This one chugs along to the chorus and always a positive message. I don't need to prove myself. I just need to be myself. Don't be a poser. Be yourself and own it. Great fucking message. Midway, it switches up to almost power metal. It gets lightning faster and faster all the way to the solo until we're at thrash pace. Sounds like Charlie's got two sticks in each hand and oh, he's got eight hands. He's got his right foot beating on your door like he's an angry father and you're fucking his baby girl until he kicks the door in and everything turns slow-mo and he proceeds to blow your fucking head off with his fist. What a fucking ending. Great fucking tune. Wow. This begins with picked guitar arpeggios and a whiny drone over the top that leads to yet another mid-tempo groove that's got a dark descending passage in the chorus and repetitive chugger riffs in the verses. The tempo picks up in the solo section, though, while the tone of the song switches from moody to angry, and Spitz gets a chance to go off, shredding over the increasingly faster music, which raises the tension that's carried over and maintained in the final verses. I interpret the lyrics to be a criticism of those individuals who profess to want to change things in society, talking about rebellion and anarchy, while revealing themselves to be the cowards they are when it's time to take real action. Bush calls out these posers. If you say it, mean it, and if you mean it, do it. I dig this one too, and it ends on an odd dissonant breakdown that basically sounds like the guy's fucking around and leads into the following track. And that following track is High Pro Glow, written by John Bush, Scott Ian, Frank Bello, and Charlie Benanti.
You like this one, Lou? <laughs> well, they they waste no filler spaces. This comes in right after the feedback of Package Rebellion cuts off, and there's that father again punching you in the face. Scotty, and then with another brutal in-your-face riff, as Bush repeats that I, 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 in every fucking orifice that you have. This is really pulling from Alice in Chains. I I don't know if they were intentionally going for it. It was just rubbing off with Dave Jordan being at the helm, but the chorus is definitely influenced. It's not a bad thing. Um, then there's the whole trippy middle part that sounds like the maelstrom of metal. It almost sounds like they're spinning into a drain or a black hole. Burns a hole inside my mind. <laughs> the solo is fucking fantastic. Spitz is making his guitar sing another melody, and this melody has a melody all its own. It really fits the song, not overplayed like a lot of other guitar calisthenics that ruined this music at, at the time when this was new. So far, so good. Another amazing track. This one starts and stops, starts and stops with thunderous drums and guitars. And that stuttering rhythmic pattern is all over this track, with occasional palm-muted phrases to break up the hammering assault. The bridge opens up with longer sustained chords and almost has a psychedelic feel with Bush's wails in the background, while the solo features tons of vibrato and fits the spacey feel. Bush's vocals are percussive, too, and follows along with a punchy main music. Who, what, where, when, why? How many ways can you lie? How many ways can you try? How many ways can you die? At first, I thought the lyrics were going to be about dog food, because Purina had the high-pro brand of dog food that would give your dog the high-pro glow if you fed it to them, the host commercials. But to me, the actual lyrics are about an imposter who wants to impress the narrator with his homage to him, but the narrator is pissed about it. He doesn't want anything to do with him, and he doesn't respect this poser. This one hits hard, and it was the fourth and final single that did not chart. The next track is Invisible. Written by John Bush, Scott Ian, Frank Bello, and Charlie Benanti. hit me a lot of tension builds up in the intro then they let it loose for this fucking mosh pit fuel builds and builds and when the chorus hits it's broken teeth and stepped on toes and hurt feelings each verse is getting slightly faster for the circle of death it's causing to get closer to its deadly velocity spitz does a decent job maintaining the tension through the solo when the release comes he stays in relatively slow tempo riding the onslaught of scott ian's chugomatic rhythm like a crowd surfer bush's insistent repeating he never should have trusted what happened to me it takes on like a suicidal tendencies flavor all the while maintaining a definitive anthrax attitude and energy another brutally fucking great track yeah, the intro is a phased guitar line that sounds like a fucked up alarm, while Benanti plays a syncopated beat underneath, building up with chugga chuggas and transitioning to a new choppy repeated guitar phrase that makes up the verses. The pre-choruses are heavy chuggers that accent hard on the one, and the choruses race with fast palm-muted riffing that are the thrashiest moments of the entire record. 
Bush snarls her vocals with venom, and the lyrics seem to be about a friend of the narrator who calls himself his closest friend, but when he's really needed, that friend's nowhere to be found, and the narrator's pissed about it. He's sickened and disgusted for trusting him. It also could be about God or a higher power that the narrator has lost faith in, as he claims it's hard not to be an atheist. There's a long solo section that's just okay, serviceable, and the outro repeats the intro while slowing down to the finish. I like this one too, at least Anthrax shows that they haven't totally forgotten how to play fast. The following track is A Thousand Points of Hate, written by John Bush, Scott Ian, Frank Bello, and Charlie Benanti. say oh my god the riffage musical equivalent to a top fuel dragster the precision of pounding while changing it up ever so slightly so the listener is never not engaged makes you part of this scott ian's riff shifts from each turnaround and is probably in my opinion one of the best on the record or maybe their career everything about this song screams anthrax down to the giant steel balls this band has collectively there's very little tension in this tune. It's almost all release. Pedal to the metal, baby. Shake and bike. Shake and bike. <laughs> Top song on the record. Fuck yeah. This fucks. This starts with a drawn out fuzzy riff over drum rolls. And then it becomes the pounding, crunchy, like groove metal inspired stutter of a riff with prominent bass that makes me think of Pantera. And as that band was friends with Anthrax, it stands to reason that they take a little influence from Pantera. Just makes me think of that. The chorus features a standard beat and longer chords, letting the vocals take center stage with a shouted, It's me! vocal that recalls classic anthrax. The solo section introduces a new riff pattern and spits his rather ho hum solos heavily phased, though, and leans on elongated melodic notes with plenty of vibrato. The title is a play of President George H.W. Bush's A Thousand Points of Light speech. And the lyrics are about a guy who's so full of hate, he's ready to explode. And he's warning everyone, watch out. He doesn't know what he's capable of. He knows how to hurt himself as well as hurt you. You can really feel the rage in John Bush's voice. And this song's another winner for me. Dimebag actually played on the next two records. Yeah, he did. Yep. The next track is Black Lodge, written by John Bush, Scott Ian, Frank Bello, Charlie Benanti, and Angelo Badalamenti. I hope I pronounced that right. How about this one? Wow. A slow anthrax tune. I guess if they needed to slow it down, this would be the way to do it. 
this band's always been able to incorporate whatever sound they were going for in their own way. And that made it anthrax. And here's Alice in Chains facelift and Metallica's black album. It's not my favorite tune, but no way it's a skipper. And I think it just confused fans into thinking that they'd changed their sound and mellowed out with that video. But who am I to say? Still a good tune. So the title is taken from the TV series Twin Peaks, which the band were big fans of, and I am not. I know nothing about it. So I had to read that the Black Lodge is an extra-dimensional place in the show. And musically, this tune was also inspired by the music of Twin Peaks, as there's a tremolo guitar part throughout the track, played by Vincent Bell, and synthesizers and orchestrations done by Twin Peaks score conductor Angelo Badalamenti. This is the ballad of the album. Like you said, Lou, it has a slow shuffle beat, arpeggiated guitars, and guitarmonies in the choruses that all combine to give the tune a dark, uneasy atmosphere. The solo is another guitarmony piece that works well with the creepy vibe, and Bush's vocals are toned down. He shows off some finesse and restraint in his singing. Supposedly, the lyrics do not reference the show, and I interpret them to be about a guy who's in love with someone struggling with addiction. Her body is screaming and her heart and soul is bleeding. He wants to be with her, but she can't fight off her demons, her need for the drugs, and he can't fight off her resistance to him. So he watches in despair as she just withers away. For a straight-up ballad, Anthrax actually pulls this off, and it comes across as emotionally heart-wrenching. And this was the second single that reached number 38 on the U.S. Billboard Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. They blame this for fucking up the whole thing. On the record company, yeah. And then they said uh, waiting for the video just fucked up the whole cycle because they were on tour at the time and they didn't have the video out by the time they were on tour. They were off tour by the time it came out. The following track is C11H17N202SNA, <laughs> written by John Bush, Scott Ian, Frank Bello, and Charlie Benanti. Make of this one, Lou. <laughs> Sodium pentothal. <laughs> this is what I expect from this evolution of anthrax. Relentless beat and riff just drag you down the block with your dick flapping in the breeze. Charlie's a fucking beast throughout this record, but he really shines on this. He, he almost sounds machine-like. But this breathes, unlike the new metal they inspired. This album's loud, but it's not brick-walled. There's dynamics, and there's space between things. Not much, but there's space. There is space. The solo sounds like something Charlie would have written on the Volume 8 record. I heard Spitz had mentally checked out on this record, and Charlie showed him a lot of what to play, and I can't confirm that. Um, but it's still a great song. At the end, I always thought they were saying Chop Suey instead of Chop Suey. Chop Suey! Instead of Cop Suey! <laughs> Another run around the bases. <sighs> Another great tune. This brings a bit of punk rock energy to the record. It's fast and it keeps its foot on the gas, with blaring guitars and relentless drums. 
It changes up the rhythm in places to separate the sections, but the tempo and momentum never lag. Even the open spaces in the start and stop bridge are filled by Benanti's quick kick drum triplets. So the song title is the scientific formula for sodium pentothal, which was once used as truth serum. And lyrically, our narrator is going after a clergyman. He wants him to tell the truth. The furious narrator even has an idea to use sodium pentothal on the guy to get him to cop to his lies and hypocrisy. And it's implied that the clergyman used his authority to involve himself in criminal behavior and is now in prison for his crimes. This is a hard smack in the mouth, but it's my least interesting and least favorite track. So I won't lie and call this Aaron's Stinky Stinker. The penultimate track is Burst, written by John Bush, Scott Ian, Frank Bello, and Charlie Benanti. about this the intro is it starts out on a xylophone how anthrax <laughs> not not <laughs> and then here it comes this gives me the same feeling as standing on the zipline platform and even though i'm harnessed in i'm terrified to make that leap into the air and let the cable take me for a ride but once i do it's a hell of a ride there's that dragster engine again <laughs> Normally, I'd be bored to tears at this point in the record if that's all that this band did. But each time it's different, even if it's the same. They know how to keep me engaged and they don't ever repeat themselves exactly. Nothing ever overstays their welcome. They're masters at this. And so far, I, it, they have not been duplicated. No one even comes close. Someone said they aren't the best at what they do. They're the only ones that do what they do about the Grateful Dead. But I can honestly say that the same thing about these guys. Another great fucking track. Hey, it's Frank Bello leading us off with that fast rumbling bass. And then he's joined by fast chugga chugga guitars. You imitated him real good, Lou. And thrash like drums that keep things moving along with a frenetic old school vibe. And even have the shouting backing vocals, especially in the call and response pre-chorus. Expect correct bed taste this song keeps the energy high and the tension elevated and the leads are not more than short bursts of clip shots of wah-wah guitar noise lyrically our man tells us to think for ourselves and don't judge others and for fuck's sake don't follow him he likes things ugly and not politically correct he's not responsible for our actions if we take his opinions and act like tools Kill someone, save a life, don't do drugs, drink all night, worship Jesus, praise Satan. Opinions are all contradictions. This one's okay, too. It's kind of a lesser track for me. It feels a little bit tossed off. We're towards the end of the record. And that brings us to the final track, This Is Not An Exit, written by John Bush, Scott Ian, Frank Bello, and Charlie Benanti. I know I'll never see myself Mortality. This is not an exit. Yeah, I can never change it. This is not an exit. It's no way out. 
How about this last one, Lou? This is the most classic Anthrax song on the record. And I could see this being on a, a Belladonna album. The recording quality, the tuning, the tempo, that all makes it a Bush song. But if they tuned up and sped it up, it, it would be a Belladonna tune. Like I said before, it's like comparing old Batman to new Batman. So much darker and more violent and bloodier and higher resolution, way more serious. No more pow, blammo, and zap. You know, just way more blood, guts, and violence. It's a phenomenal fucking ending to a phenomenal CD. So he ends things on a plodding, grungy track that gives me a strong facelift-era Alice in Chains vibe. I mean, I can practically hear Lane Staley in my head singing this with John Bush. The riffs are hefty and grinding, and the bass is a steamroller, locking into the rhythm changes and threatening to mow you down. The bridge has Bush singing with a megaphone effect as a response to the guitarist's call, and Spitz's last solo on the record is mostly long, noisy notes and actually works well here. The breakdown adds congas for some odd reason over bare drums until Bellow's bass rumbles in and finally the guitars join in on the fun as the song eventually speeds up as it fades out, ending on a spoken word line and more actual white noise. I read that Scott Ian said that the lyrics are about immortality and that though the idea of it might appeal to some people, the reality of it would be terrible, forced to watch loved ones live and die and never being free from this life. I also could see the lyrics from the point of view of a vampire about to change someone to spend eternity with them. I know I'll never be free. Change doesn't come easy. And if I'll never be free, you'll live in hell with me. Hell, of course, being living on Earth. Yeah, I dig this. It doesn't knock my socks off, but yeah, I dig this. It's a good closer. Now that the track by track is completed, we'll get into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which lies even under sodium pentothal. Lou, give us your final thoughts on Sound of White Noise. Uh, I'm physically tired after this listen, uh, but I want to keep going. It's infectious. I went through the the next three records and then down a YouTube rabbit hole where there's this ridiculously long 24-part 40th anniversary web doc that went through the band's history in depth with interviews and with all the involved players and producers and friends and enemies. It was fucking fascinating. In the 90s, music was changing and Amthrax embraced it in their own unique way that stayed true to themselves. When this was released, it was way ahead of its time not behind the times. This is one of the best metal albums in the 90s. I'm really surprised that these guys didn't go further, but I'm kind of glad they didn't because if they did, they'd, they'd have played the Super Bowl by now, and that's really the death knell of any fucking band to, with any kind of cred. I kind of like that these guys aren't Metallica famous because I think that the Metallica guys are kind of out of touch, and these guys are still one of us, if that makes sense. I mostly put metal on the back burner at this point in my life, but I'll never lose interest in these guys or uh, on record or live. Every time I hear them, it, they just make me want to start slamming into people, which isn't really a smart thing to do at, at, at my age. I give this record a five and it's one of my desert Island discs. If, if among the living is the definitive Belladonna anthrax record, this is the definitive Bush record. There's not one bad song on it, and that goes for most Anthrax albums. But I like this one the best. In early 1992, 
Longtime lead vocalist Joey Belladonna was fired from Anthrax over creative differences, mostly owing to the fact that the band wanted its sound to evolve in a new stylistic direction. The band recruited their first choice, John Bush, from traditional metal band Armored Saint, but he initially turned them down. Anthrax held unsuccessful auditions for a new vocalist and then returned to Bush, who finally agreed to join the band. Anthrax left their label, Island Records, to sign with Elektra and entered the studio with producer Dave Jordan, known for his work with Alice in Chains and Jane's Addiction, to cut the new record. The sound was a departure from the band's classic thrash metal style, and the lyrics reflected a more mature sensibility that Anthrax had been developing on their previous album, Persistence of Time. The album cover was a grainy close-up photo of a blob resembling a skull floating in a jar, and when Sound of White Noise was released, it met with moderate success, mostly well-received by fans and critics, while attaining Anthrax's highest chart position ever and reaching gold certification. Now, I was taken aback at first when I heard this, and it wasn't because of John Bush's voice. I liked his lower, gritty timbre, still do. As a matter of fact, after hearing this album, I checked out Armored Saint, and I became a fan of that band. What struck me more was the change in Anthrax's sound. My first thought was, fuck, they're making their own black album to try to get record sales. They're not a thrash band anymore. Come on. But closer listening revealed that this was more in line of a grunge-style album than Metallica's Black Album, and as it turned out, I really liked the majority of the songs. I thought the songwriting and performances were strong for the most part, and it seemed that Bush's presence brought a new and different energy to the band. Now, I still missed the thrash sound, and I also missed the fun this band used to have. Initially, they were the most, for lack of a better word, lighthearted of the big four of thrash, and they used to have a carefree, infectious spirit that's nowhere to be found here. Though I really liked this album, I was hoping it was going to be an anomaly and that they'd get back to their old school roots on subsequent albums, but alas, it was not to be, at least with John Bush. For me, though, this is far and away my favorite Anthrax album of the John Bush era, and it still holds up pretty well, nearly 30 years later. I give Sound of White Noise a three and a half, and this marked the opening chapter of an interesting and uneven period in the history of Anthrax. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron. And I'm Batman. See ya. Unpredictable. Only. I'm 
still not used to talking with this hole in my fucking teeth. I still, I, my tongue just drifts into the hole and makes me fa fa fa. I hate that shit. I, I, I hear it in my head as I'm speaking. I'm like, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> don't, don't whistle. Yeah, don't whistle, don't, um, don't lift. <laughs> I, can hear, I can hear myself lifting. The precision of pounding while changing it up ever so slightly to the listener. Alright, this is the fourth. <laughs> Take seven. Take seven. Be dangerous and unpredictable and make a lot of noise. <laughs>